Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Beyond Faith. That's our YouTube handle. 
And you can also um, find us on Google as well. So all of that information is available. Just look up People of Color Beyond Faith. And the topic for Sunday, well, for Sunday, December 15th, Donald Wright will be the moderator. So, you know, it's going to be a very fast-paced, a very in-depth um, talk there. And, you know, again, we're inviting you all to come out and be a part of it. And I am, excuse me, <clears throat> I'm excited to be a part of this panel because it will give everybody the opportunity and the chance to talk about coming out as an atheist and what that experience has been for you. And, again, for some people, you know, it can be paralyzing, just a number of issues, but the official title of the show for December 15th is Exposing Your Non-Belief and Why the Decision Can Be Paralyzing. So that's the official title. Donald Wright is the moderator. Again, it will be live from our YouTube channel, and the time will be 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, and 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So we're asking that you all come out and join us, and it should be a lot of fun. Also, the series Black Folk Don't is returning for their third season, and on December 2nd, Monday, December 2nd, which is tomorrow, Dr. Hutchinson will be featured. So, guys, we want you to go out and, you know, and and support her. And it won't just be her. They'll have Ava DuVernay on there, um, Lisa Gay Hamilton, as well as John Norwood Fisher from Fishbone. But um, Dr. Hutchinson will be there on that show, and we want you all to go out and definitely support her on that. Um, she's making waves in the community, and this is a wonderful thing. So, of course, we all support Dr. Hutchinson and, again, Two weeks from now, Donald Wright, exposing your non-belief and why the decision can be paralyzing. We definitely want to hear from you. And our email address is peopleofcolorbeyondfaith at gmail.com. Again, peopleofcolorbeyondfaith at gmail.com. So we're looking forward to hearing from you guys. We're looking forward to speaking with you. We're looking forward to just, you know, you're being a part of the show and participating. And we're really excited about this web series. Every month will be something different. So we're lining up January's show in February, the weekend of Valentine's Day, February 14th, 15th, and 16th. That entire weekend, we're putting together an online conference. So there are going to be a series of shows for that particular weekend, and we're doing this for you our listeners and our supporters, because we understand that many in our community have been marginalized and ignored, and many people are not able to make it to the conferences for a number of different reasons. So we wanted to bring it to you and let you guys know how much we care about you and how we want you to be a part of the conversation and to see how these panels are conducted. So, again, February 14th through 16th, we will have... Um, an online conference. October 11th and 12th will be the physical conference, and that will be taking place in Los Angeles, California. So mark your calendars, October 11th and 12th of 2014. So we're giving you all a year's notice 
so you can work on getting there and, you know, being a part of this, you know, experience and just the people of color beyond faith. Um, West Coast Conference. So, you know, we're looking forward to all of this. A lot of exciting things happening. Um, Another program that we're involved with, People of Color Beyond Faith, on April 25th and 26th, we will be at a conference at Morgan State University. It's a philosophical atheism in communities of faith conference, and um, we will be heading up a panel, so that would be Dr. Hutchinson, Raina, and myself, and on that's, that will be Friday night, so NPR will be there and other press. And on Saturday, Dr. Hutchinson will be bringing a presentation, so we'll be represented on both days. So we're asking you guys to support us. Um, as soon as we get some more information from Morgan State, the event will be going up. The event for December 15th, I'll be putting that up right after the show today, and we'll be sending out invites. But you can find that, you will be able to find that on our People of Color Beyond Faith Facebook page, and we'll be sending out tweets and Tumblr announcements and all of that as well. So that is what's going on in the community. And there are more events, and we're lining them up. And like I said, we're really excited about all of this. And, again, we want your feedback. We want you all to know that we do care about you, and we're doing all of this for you so that you will have the opportunity to experience um, these conferences, these panels, be involved in the conversation. We don't want you to be left out. We want you to know that you are as vital as anyone else and you're important to us. So we do want your participation. So thank you all for listening to the announcements today. You know, we try to get them all out. And um, if there's anyone who wants us to announce anything that they may have coming up, please feel free to let us know. All right, so today's topic um, is black churches equal black problems. And there's a question mark behind that. Not an exclamation point. It is a question mark. So basically I'll ask the question, do black churches create black problems? Is the black church the impetus for black problems? Is the black church the focal point of black problems? Is the black church responsible for issues in the black community? These are all very valid questions, and I'm just posing them in different ways because I want you to think about what I'm saying and what I'm asking. And there's a reason why I have question marks behind all of this. I see we have Travis. Hold on a second here. Travis with us today. Hey, Travis. Yes, 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 and yes. (laughs) That's what I got to say to your question. And there was a fifth question is yes to that one, too. So, you know, you're doing a straight yes ticket, like a straight Democratic ticket or a straight Republican ticket. It's a straight yes ticket for you, right? I'm not only going yes, I'm going duh, uh, obviously, um, without a doubt, there is no question. How can uh, a group of people give uh, one man or one organization 10% of their money 
and then the community not be better, well, it's obvious that 10% could have been going anywhere else and could have made things better. So then giving that 10% to that spot makes things worse. Done. Next topic. <laughs> <laughs> we have someone else. I normally don't pick up these one calls, but, you know, let's pick it up today. All right, one, one, one. Hello? You're unmuted, one, one, one. Is this Deborah? Yeah. Hey, girl. Can you hear me? Hey, one, one, one again. We can hear you, but it's okay. I figured it was you. That's why I'm picking it up. Um, why, so, does, why does it do that? But you know what, Kim? Have, the one, one, one yeah. comes from a lot of people, and I answer them because a lot of times it is somebody that I wanted to talk to. So you kind of got to just kind of fight weird. through the troll, you know? You want me to call back? No, I don't no, understand no, why you he does that. That's okay. Back, it's okay. okay. That's no, weird. No, but no, what were you going to say? What were you going to say? You put your hand up real fast. Yeah, 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 Okay, some uh-huh. people think that 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 the uh, what is it the N N O I Muslim uh, people who are uh, the yeah, nation of Islam, yeah, 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 because they just they're just using another color. That's all. It's the same thing. It's the same principle. It's 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 making people dependent instead of independent. Okay, mm-hmm. on a lie. Uh huh. Okay, 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 okay. Well, think about it. If if Mm -hmm. the preacher tells you something, right, that you've got to be able to figure out, basically they're giving you a riddle, okay? They're saying in order to be more like me, in order to get the messages that I'm getting, you've got to be more holy. And as soon as they get you to the point to where you're coming to them trying to figure out how to be more like them when that can't happen because they ain't really hearing nothing, they got you. Hmm. Weird. Okay. Is that too far? Okay. Is that too confusing? No, no, no. I'm listening to you. I'm listening to you because we're going to tackle some issues today. So, but I want to let you all get your part out because we're going to hit it up today. We're going to hit up a few issues. And oh yeah, next week our show. I'm still going to do our MythBuster show, but I'm pushing it back until after the 15th. Next week's show is basically going to be along the lines of atheism. What do we have in common and what do we not have in common? As far as I'm concerned, the only thing that I really have in common with most other atheists is the fact that I do not believe, okay? And the atheist community is extremely diverse. We have homophobes. We have sexists. We have misandrists. We have a number of different people with different issues. Just because you became an atheist, that does not mean it liberated you from other trains of thought. So we're going to expound on that next week. So, yeah, next week's show, we're going to talk about what do we and what do we not have in common. But anyway, we're going to get back to this topic today. And, um, okay, so I, I heard a barrage of yeses. All right, so let's take one issue at a time. And let's see, where do I want to start today? Hmm, let's start with prison. Okay. Okay. So let's, let's talk <laughs> <Okay>. about yes. <laughs> let's start with incarceration in our society, in our community, and it's this is 
prevalent across the American society. I'm sure you all saw that article that was talking about different countries that are shutting down their prisons because they have no one to put in their prison system, whereas in America, prison has become big business. You know, they're privatizing it. There are some prison systems that are on the stock exchange, so they're making money from imprisoning, you know, people. Um, And it doesn't matter if you're male or female anymore. They're sending everybody to jail. And it's big business, you know, um, the people that serve the food or, you know, that delivers the food, there's business. A lot of people don't realize that not only with the prison system but also with our INS and our deportation, they have specialized airlines. And these particular companies have a monopoly on that. And it's a multi-billion dollar business, okay, because it's been privatized and so Again, I want to talk about that. So the issues that we have, oh, okay, we got Raina on the line now. I see Raina's here. Hey. And that's somebody hey, from 202. Is this 202? May we ask who's calling? Yeah, uh, my name's L.A. I'd like the initials for hey, the city, L.A. Yeah. Okay. Um, Good morning. Good morning. Um, in my opinion, first thing is a great topic that you picked. Um, I'm not going to put all of the, in my in my opinion, I'm not going to dump all the problems of black issues on the black church because there's, right. some, okay. there's some there's some elements that the black church did not create, uh, which that discussion would just go on too long during dealing with the political the history of the country and all this that and up. However, I believe that uh, in the United States the black church can be a change agent uh and eliminate eventually some of the issues that we have uh, in the United States in the black community. Namely, okay, now under you say, you, well, I was going to ask you when you say it can be a change agent and eliminate some of the issues in the black community in the United States. Do you care to give us an example? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, there basically, I see it as four basic issues, all coming under the the word education. Um, I believe if more faith-based leaders would be more innovative, which I don't think most pastors, priests, what have you, the church leadership, they're not really innovative people. They're, like, they're conservative. They, don't, they, they really don't go out on the edge to be cutting edge. But in the form of um, basic life skills, um, I don't know any programs out there like it. There might be nutrition education, um, job and entrepreneurial training, and political education. Those those are four broad areas of education. But I believe if a faith-based organization or one pastor got uh, innovative with it, um, because, I mean, the, the opportunities are all there. Uh, I think they could be change agents, change agents in our community throughout the United States. 
how can they be change agents if they're conservative and not innovative? Because if anything's innovative, if, if a preacher's innovative, he got to start a new church. Okay? They can't be um, agents for education because they're stuck in a book that's 3,000 years old with no new information. Well, they I can't be a change for... I agree. I, once again, I said if. I did qualify that with if. You did. You did. I was just going to say, you know, there are there are churches that have, you know, have participated in the civil rights movement and have been change agents in their communities. I mean, I, there are theologies that are, you know, liberal and progressive theologies out there. There are people who are, you know, um, there's a church right here in, in Maryland that embraces the LGBT community and actually had a large, you know, number of its members leave because the pastor and the, and the leadership was brave enough to say, you know, gay people are human beings and they're and they're just as worthy as anyone else and they're welcome here. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. there are people who are doing that. I mean, now that's the, now those cases are obviously too far, uh, too too few and far between. You know, but there are you know opportunities for, you know, Christians and people who are, you know, religious to be change agents. But they um but part of the problem is the you know, the prosperity gospel that we preach. A lot of it has a lot of this bootstrapping crap in it and part of the it, it, instead of, you know, the bootstrapping speech that we get in the wider culture about um, you know, you've got to work and put your nose to the grindstone you get you got to tithe, 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 give, 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 give to the church's coffers. Give until it hurts. You know what I mean? Give until it hurts. Yeah, that's that's what they tell you. And um, and, and that's the sort of bootstrapping that message that gets brought up in prosperity gospel churches, but they're putting very, very little back into um, into their, you know, their parishioners and into the communities in which they, they, they you know, they're located. You know, so well, I, I think we have to be careful in how we talk about churches. You know, okay. Well, here's right. an example. Of what? I, okay. Now, I agree with the gentleman. We're behind. It, it's it's, and I'm not going to just lay this all on a black church. I'm just using this as an example. And because I'm I'm a bit of a historian on this. When I say we're behind, I'm talking about over 200 years behind when it comes to basic. Life skills, education. I'll give you an example. Kunta Kente, if we use him as a barometer, he was caught at age 17. When he was caught, he knew how to build his own house. That's a skill that I believe that should be taught the people coming up. And it is being taught. If you look at it on a global perspective, there are people around the globe that, and I'm not talking about a shack or anything like that, but I'm talking about there are people around the world that come from various communities that before they reach adulthood have actually built their own home, mortgage-free. In this country, the most visible community that we might see is the Amish. I'm not telling people to become Amish. But I'm saying it's I, a basic life. That's why we have so much problems right now, because the way most people are educated, and I graduated from college and all this, and I had to change. 
after I got out and saw a little bit of the world after doing some extensive travel overseas, I found out the education that I got, which is mostly in private schools, and I'm a college graduate, was basically outdated in lies. Because right. essentially, when you come through the system that we're in right now in Western civilization, you're in debt by the time you get out of school. Right. So going back to the Christopher King thing, it's, it, oh, and, and matter of fact, in 1863, after we were, you know, the Emancipation Proclamation, in the United States, there were about 300 black townships that were sprung up by ex-slaves. They built their own towns. So I believe that's a basic skill that could be, and that's, if, we, if it's taught through faith-based organizations, that's just one example of they could be change agents for something like that. All right, small. so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to basically well, take what you just said. Well, churches need to establish towns. I'm not even, I don't even well, understand. Well, no, 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 their own homes from the ground up. So he's talking about right. mainly have the skill set on how to be self-sufficient, self-reliant in that respect. But I want to take what he just said, because he said over 300 towns popped up after the Emancipation Proclamation. So I'm going to take that. And, you know, we talked about the Wilmington insurrection. We talked about what happened in Tulsa, what happened in Rosewood, you know, Black Wall Street and all of these other towns that were, you know, prominently and predominantly black. And what happened was they were having the race riots, you know, so um, there were white mobs coming to this town. Do you believe that there may be a fear on the behalf of some people that do have that talent, that do have that knowledge, that do have the patience to teach other people how to be self-sufficient in that respect. It seems as though every time we raise up a leader, every time we raise any type of independence, whereas it was an independent town or thought process, that there are entities that come in and try to destroy it. So how do we protect that? Uh, one way would be, and this is part of the educational piece, again, and you brought up some very good examples, uh, would be to study what has happened because, as you, you, you mentioned, uh, like the Black Wall Street, Black Wall Street, which were happening, were happening on the north end of Tulsa. There are other independent black townships, and I'm not saying this is the be-all and end-all solution, like Eatonville in Florida still exists. Uh, there are about 13 black towns that still exist in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. But not everybody lives in those places will move those places. So let's take some place like D.C., Baltimore, Chicago, whatever. I heard on one of these other talk shows that there should be no hood, or there should be no bad neighborhood where you see a church. So that's just somebody's opinion. But, I mean, there's a lot of needs that could be filled. And, like I say, if we had... Innovators in the pulpit, and I'm sure there are some. I think we need to have more to tackle some of these. Uh, I mean, from I mean, from taking somebody who just got out of prison, teaching them how to have their own business uh, or, or trade or what have you. 
So there, there are plenty of problems and there are plenty of solutions. But I think if, if in the black community we would be more proactive in our faith-based organizations, then I think, you know, some of these, these issues would disappear. Not all you know, it would be really nice to say that, okay, everybody's going to the church, that's a good place to start and to be able to, uh, you know, get people to organize and connect and do good things for the community. But if they were going to do it, they would have done it already. Right. Okay? Um, they're more concerned with keeping I mean, you in the – I was going to say, I'm going to say a lot of – I mean, okay, so, for example, the you know, the HBCU I graduated from started out as a seminary and teaching college. And then it, and it was also doing things like it had its own, you know, high school. There were people who graduated from high school at Morgan State. There were people who learned trades at Morgan State. You know what I mean? There are, but a lot of these institutions are underfunded, you know. A lot of these things have become undervalued because of, you know, people can go now to mainstream institutions and get education and things like that. And so they're not, the, the dollars just aren't there anymore. And because some of us, decide not to attend minority colleges, they're, they're going by the wayside. I mean, look at the, um, they have a college in West Virginia. It's a historically, you know, black college. It's 90% white now. Because no one attends. Well, again, part of that goes back to being able to afford, you know, higher education. And, you know, as time has gone by, we've seen tuition raised to astronomical amounts of money. And, you know, that kind of, we can just segue with that because while the tuition has risen, you know, our incomes or, you know, the, you know, the wealth in our community has decreased. Because what happened with this last bubble, you know, this last, they call it the Great Recession, but we were really in a depression and we're not fully out of it yet. This erased and totally eliminated a lot of the wealth that, you know, communities of color have acquired and built, you know, um, over the past hundred years or so. And so basically if we take that, so, you know, let's talk about, you know, higher education. And again, you know, the topic is black churches equal black problems. So when we talk about higher education, you know, how has the black church impacted that? You know, and so we were talking earlier, we were talking about, you know, some of these churches and the giving of tithes and offerings, and we hit on um, the prosperity church and the conservative, conservative, you know, notions that a lot of religious people have that they're being sold. Now, one of the tenets that they're being sold is that they are holy millionaires and holy billionaires, and that one day they will, you know, the wealth of the wicked is laid up, you know, for the righteous. And so they're basically being sold pipe dreams. We know this because the majority, I, I, I tell people all the time, I will shut up and stop talking about them. When one, one of these, you know, um, prosperity churches, one of these mega churches, when they can show me that over 80% of their congregation has liquid assets of over a million dollars, 80%. And liquid assets are, is money that you can touch. I'm not talking about your real estate. I'm not talking about any of that, you know, your, your porcelain doll collection, none of that. What I'm saying is, so 
you know, where I'm going with this is the people are being sold, you know, and told that the more money you invest in the church, the more God is going to bless you. Right. And basically, we see that this is not happening. It's not happening. The only people that are getting rich basically are the pastors in their inner circles, their cronies. And a lot of people I've seen forego, you know, putting money to the side for their children's education because they were investing it in a church and basically, you know, using Jesus and the church as a lottery ticket. And this is why we call it a Ponzi scheme, a pyramid scheme sometimes. But what people don't seem to realize is that even in the best Ponzi or pyramid scheme, only the people at the top make the real money. The people at the bottom are being crushed, and they don't get it. But, you know, I know some personal examples, whereas the money was, you know, put into the church. Excuse me. Savings bonds were cashed in because of something that was needed at the church, you know, uh, a pipe burst or what have you. So what responsibility, and I don't even say it's, you know, necessarily fully on the black church because that individual willingly gave that money to that pastor, but only after the pastor tricked them. So that goes back to what Travis talked about, you know, people being tricked into giving the money. And, you know, I agree with all of you guys. I don't believe they should be giving tithes and offerings to this church. They should be taking that money and either reinvesting it back in their communities or reinvesting it back in their children so that their children will have a future, have an opportunity. And this is something that I see other communities of color doing. You you will see their parents driving around in a 30-year-old car, putting all the money to the side to make sure that that child can go to college and possibly have a down payment on a home when they graduate. So what is our problem? Why can't we do that? Well, yeah, Kim, I could see. Go ahead. I was going to say, why would and still I still ask the same question? Why would anyone act like any of these preachers are going to do anything when each congregation is subjected to the fetishes of each preacher, right? So if that preacher's into money, he's going to figure out how to extract money from them. If he's into their kids, he'll figure out how to be alone with their children. So how are you going to get them to switch off and be for the community? It just doesn't seem like they would have to have that be their you know, their hobby, their their addiction, in order for that to work. And and they don't. So you almost you do need different new organizations, because acting like someone who is already shown what they're going to be doing, they ain't going to switch. Because if they, if they did, if they were, they would not have a shiny suit, not one. They're greedy. I so mean, is there a way... I- can change that narrative and change that conversation. There's a method to the madness here. So, I mean, is there any way that we can change that narrative and change that conversation so that people's priorities will, you know, kind of be influenced and changed a little bit? And if there is a way to change that narrative, to change that particular perspective, where does the secular community come in and how can we help be that change agent? Well, one I agree with some of what Travis is saying, but I think the first step, which this broadcast that you have on the Internet, I think, which is a good one, getting the conversation going. So I think that's yes. a good first step because from this conversation, 
I mean, we can – it could be a pastor out there listening right now. I don't know. But the conversation needs to be started first. The next thing is uh, piggybacking on what, what some of everybody said, including particularly Travis. It's get that dialogue going and say, okay, what can we do to turn this around? Well, then why don't we make a list of things that make a good church? Because, I mean, if you're going to do that, you can try to do that. But, I mean, I'm always going to get stuck on, you know, telling me to do something that ain't really helping isn't going to be good. So it's, it goes um, back to what about, oh, what about the idea that um, this is this whole religion, I mean, white Christianity was sort of given to black people in the field. You know, it never was their choice. They, this was not the God or the book that they ever would have made up for themselves. And so is this another version when we talk about going through religion for social change or, or needing the church's help, is this still a way to kind of spice up pig's feet? Is this another way just trying to use the old white man's leftovers and make them work? Like, you know, I'm saying, is there a conversation to say, let's throw away all this and admit we never would have took it on in the first place? This yeah. is none of our church. It, it, let's, well, just, yeah. let's just know that. You, you know, know, we, we go back. back. There was, was a quote song. that we saw this week, and the quote was like, uh, during slavery, if they didn't give us good food, good clothes, good education, why do they think we gave us a good religion? And I was like, oh, okay, I get it. That means that Christianity is chitlins. Right. Yeah, yeah, we just kind of up. Oh, yeah, no, I was just going to say, but we, you know, we have to take into consideration that, you know, it's, it's, you know, a little bit complex because initially many of the slaves were promised their freedom if they converted to Christianity. And many of them converted to Christianity, you know, in getting their freedom, and a few of them were granted their freedom. These same slaves were also promised their freedom if they fought in a revolutionary war. Some of them fought in a war, and some of them were given freedom, not all of them. But what happened was is that, you know, the political powers turned around and reneged on that, you know, with a treaty. And basically... Um, you know, others were beaten into submission. You know, we know all about how they were beaten into submission. Um, he used the example of Kuta Kente earlier. His name was Toby. He was beaten until he, he said his name was Toby. And, you know, there were other examples of that happening. So, you know, they were forced into that. And basically today many of them incorporated some of their spiritual beliefs into Christianity, like some of the dancing that you see, you know, the circle dance, that came from a West African religion, and they just right. incorporated it into Christianity. So, you know, you know, they were defiant in their own way. They just incorporated some of their beliefs to basically adapt. But, again, they many of them were forced into that, and I believe that that fear has been passed down throughout the generations because I believe that there are some of us, you know, um, that are triggered when we say, you know, leave Christianity. That fear is triggered, and some of us don't even know why. You know, and it's that fear, that fear, that guilt, and that shame. But I believe it's been passed down throughout the generations, and that's the reason why one thing I know is that with most people, they, if, they're they not going to necessarily follow what you say. 
but they're going to follow what you do, and which is why I feel that it's important, especially in a secular community, for those of us that do believe in social justice, and we're out here as social justice, justice activists, and do believe in interfaith dialogue. I believe that being an example and getting in the community and trying to change the narrative or, or write our own narrative that, you know, by leading by example, we'll be able to influence more people because, see, that Christianity, a lot of that stuff hasn't been working. You know, um, I don't see a lot of people trying to pray away their, you know, hypertension and diabetes. They run to the doctor. You know, despite, you know, some of these pastors saying, let me put, lay hands on you. You know, one example of that is Christian Crenshaw Center in um, Los Angeles, Fred Price. When, and this is senior. When Betty, his wife, got cancer, he didn't have the whole church lay, down, lay their hands on her. He took her to the best cancer specialist that they could find. Right. So, again, mm-hmm. you know, you have to the critical thinking and the common sense, and while we see that there are not a lot of changes being made in the churches, you know, that's why I feel that the secular community, that we can go out there and, you know, be the example and change some of the narrative. Now, you know, we're going to have to cooperate with the church to a certain degree. Why? Because they have a bully pulpit. Okay? And, and, And the individuals, you know, individual people, they're not the enemy, and so it's being able to recognize that and to understand. And both the black church has some positive qualities. Now, what I mean by that is if you go back and you look at the civil rights movement, which started way before the 50s and the 60s, but I'm just going to take us back to the 50s and the 60s, what happened is the civil rights movement started out as a secular movement. And they incorporated religion in the church, and even Martin Luther King Jr. didn't want to use religious principles initially. What happened was, you know, the racists and the people that were pro-slavery, they were using scriptures in the Bible and their religion to justify slavery and the mistreatment and Jim Crow laws, you know, and the reconstruction, all of that. They were using the Bible, so they had to fight fire with fire. And plus, the black church was the only place where a group of black people could congregate without agitating white people. So, you know, it's, it's about going back into the history. So the church does, you know, serve a purpose. Because, I mean, even now, so, we were Kim, told, it used to what? Serve a Kim, if we had to do it at the church in the past and that the church hijacked the movement, then the time now that we don't have to do that there, we need to do something right. different. Exactly. 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 Because if, we need if you start off a meeting, um, a, a progressive meeting, with closing your eyes and talking to the invisible, it's not progressive any longer. And I think, right. I think some of the propaganda behind that movement is for, you know, white media, for the people that call themselves that, that the um, the movement was hijacked so that now anything to do with civil rights and black people is also something to do with religion. So mm-hmm. if you get in trouble, call them, you know, they love them a reverend type of. Right. And, and the other tragedy about the civil rights movement is I talk to young black people, they all think it was about getting voting rights. They, they don't under they, they don't know they don't know nothing about the garbage workers. Right. They don't know nothing about the bus bus boycott. They go, 
Well, that was to get our our voting rights. Like, you had your voting rights with the 14th, 15th mm-hmm. Amendment. These, this was now now white people were were not letting people vote. That had to get stopped. But the, uh, that's a tragedy. That that a lot of young people think that the civil rights movement was about getting the right to vote, and and not recognizing it was I am a man. It's like this stuff has to stop. It's right. It was about, about equality and jobs. By the way, right. uh, Kim and everybody, uh, today is December 1st, and on December 1st, 1955, uh, there was a seamstress named Rosa Parks, and she <laughs> sat down on the bus, <laughs> and with dignity and discipline, <laughs> she sat there with dignity and discipline. Discipline. <laughs> That's right. She was arrested, and they arrested her and charged her with disturbing the peace. Mm-hmm. Mm. And no, don't let people say that Rosa Parks sat down in the front row of the bus. No, no, no. She was sitting in the first row of the colored bus, and the rule was the bus got full, and one yeah, white yeah. person got on the bus, and the first row of the colored bus would have to get up and move. Three people did. Rosa refused. Mm-hmm. They arrested her, charged her with uh, disturbing the peace. Uh, they had a $50 fine, and they decided... And uh, Martin came down, and on the documentary, it was so cold, y'all. There was a, there was a sister there, and she's old, and she said, uh, I got to tell you that I myself, when he was speaking, I had never in my life yelled out in the church before. But on that day, I yelled to the top of my lungs, Lord, you don't send us a leader. Okay? And it, it was showing his speech. It was incredible. Okay? But, um, yeah, he used religion because that's what people knew. So he knew he could get it like that. But he also would, would mix in other different uh, philosophers and stuff, weaving them in and not just sticking in the, in the religious vein. And the real truth about Martin, the, the glory of Martin, just like people talk about the glory of uh, uh, George Washington and how they wanted to make him king, and he's like, no, nah, I'm just going to do this and, and keep it moving. Well, if Martin Luther King Jr. would have decided to start a mega church, he would have had everybody's money. Yeah, you know, he would have. And, you know, you know, we have to, you know, we're going to basically talk about what you were saying with um, Rosa Parks. And what a lot of mm-hmm. people don't <clears throat> excuse me, realize is that with Rosa Parks, that scenario was orchestrated. She was picked specifically to sit on the bus and refuse food because she fit the respectability politics at that time. The original woman who refused, her name was Claudette Colvin, and she was, again, a black woman, but she was um, pregnant without um, a husband. Yeah, teenage pregnant, you know, pregnant girl without a husband. So they couldn't use her because, again, of respectability politics. And that's the reason why I think it's important that we have these shows because, yes, a lot of these young people, and even some of the older ones, are not informed. They have not been educated, and I feel as though, you know, many of us have done them an injustice. And in some cases, our parents and grandparents have done us an injustice because they were too busy trying to shelter us and protect us and give us everything that there are some people out here who have not had the harsh reality slapped them, you know, to attention. In the face. You know, and yeah. you know what? Jewish families don't do that. Kim, Jewish families tell their kids, hey, hey, they hate y'all. 
You know what I mean? They're going to try to get you. Don't, you know, expect that. You know what I mean? There's a whole different thing than trying to protect us from it. You know, a lot of us who are in our 40s, we were uh, protected because we were like that first generation, like right after March. And so, you know, we had Sesame Street and all kinds of stuff. And now, they, the, but the problem, I think, is um, believing for a second that those who are against us have ever quit and given up and, right. okay, they're going to just be nice now. Okay? I mean, now that we got, uh, uh, now that there's a President Obama, they ramped it up. We ain't going to make sure that, ends. That, that, that don't happen again. They're doing everything in their power to accomplish that. Exactly, exactly. And that's why we're telling people this is not a post-racial America. What it did was it drummed up the racism and it, and it emboldened some people to come out and, you know, uh, be able to say that they're racist. Or, but they do it under a different guise, and you're correct. So, you know, the Ku Klux Klan's members, they're no longer running around with robes. They're now in three-piece suits with briefcases. Or... Or they're on the internet and they're kind of bold with uh, with just with the internet uh, with their name shown or even with fake names. And you know what I call them, Kim? I call them the clickety clack clan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the clickety clack clan. The clickety clack cowardly clan sitting in front of their computers. You know what I mean? With sticky fingers, just typing racist stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, but you know, they can't help it. Oh, hey, uh, real quick. Um, something we came up with on, on Funny to the Moon uh, last week was we were talking about it, and uh, Tana came with the concept was that saying, you know, as people say that saying the N-word with the A-H or A is different from saying the N-word with the E-R. He said uh-huh. that really is just hitting yourself with only 80% of the whip. What you say, instead of the full impact, you're only getting part of the uh-huh. impact. Yeah, you get 75% of the whip. Well, there seems to be, yeah, we had, we had some people on. You know, and this, these are, these are um, people, you know, hip-hop culture defenders saying the N-word has been changed. It's, it's, the youth has taken it over. It's not E-R, it's A or A-H, you know, and, that's, and he's saying to his culture, that's a huge difference, that we're not saying nigger with disrespect and, and, and that history, we're saying nigga, you know, it's about the party, it's about, you know, owning owning it and, and crushing it. And I, to me, I just thought, well, it just sounds like you're you're beating yourself with eighty percent of the whip. It, it doesn't it doesn't sound like it's a huge, you know. Again, it's you some know, kind of way to spice up some chitlins, basically. It's, I think, it's, I think ahead, that Deborah. also, I think that also. Yeah, I, I don't like. I'm not saying I like the word that word, but when you think about the origination of it, I'm thinking that white people was too stupid to pronounce the word Nigeria right or Niger. Or <laughs> I mean, I mean, even if There's I went over there, there. To, if I went over to Africa today, I guarantee you, I would be able to pronounce a lot of those African names correctly. So why you can't think? I mean, we give the white man so much credit, okay? And you know, and, and I'm pretty sure when he came back, nigga, do this, nigga. Instead of pronouncing the name right, no, your name is nigga, because it was too hard for him to even pronounce, you know, the the African name of a person. 
You understand what I'm saying? And, yeah, I'm against it because, see, what he did at the same time, he made it, he made it into a nasty turn. But I, I even give, I give us credit for saying, you my nigga, you know. I, I give it credit for us changing the meaning because everything, I mean, we, we give him credit like he knows it all. But the white man is stupid. Oh, okay, but let's 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 but go back to you know, what you're saying. You're talking about giving people credit about things, and so again, um, the telephone, the guest call in is three one zero nine eight two four two seven three. Again, that's three one zero nine eight two four two seven three. Press one if you would like to speak with us. But you know, you know, since you're talking about giving you know white people credit, if you will. Um, Basically, so, you know, when I was talking earlier, you know, I brought up prison. So I'm just trying to steer us back to the topic of black churches equal black problems. Prison, okay, so I don't know if you all have had the, you know, pleasure of reading The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, but it's actually a fascinating, it's a really good read. So basically, we had over, you know, 200 years of slavery, um, and then another hundred years of, you know, black codes and Jim Crow and construction, all of those issues. And then it's really only been about 50 years in which we were supposedly, quote, unquote, free from all of those injustices, which isn't necessarily true because then, you know, uh, We've had some other issues, and so that's why I'm taking it back um, to prison and what's happening with the prison industrial complex is, number one, the unemployment rate in communities of color has steadily been high, and it's been rising. Always double that, you know, of, even, always double that of whites. Exactly. 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 And what happens is with, you know, some of these individuals, you know, we've heard stories about people being railroaded to jail and how DNA tests are now freeing some people. You had that one um, woman who was giving back false positives on drug tests and people are being let out of prison left and right. And you have other, you know, things out there. Pardon? Sorry, I I was just giving the example of the Central Park Five, that's all. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Central Park Five, you have them. The Scottsboro Boys were just, you know, um, vindicated, if you will. Um, the young boy, the 14-year-old young man that was electrocuted, or not put in the electric chair, they are re-looking at his, you know, case. And so basically, you know, in modern times today, with the prison system that we have and the number of people of color that are being incarcerated, you know, now I'm not a conspiracy theorist or anything like that, but in in many cases, many of these people are being jailed for minor drug offenses. Now, I'm one of these people. I feel that all drugs should be legalized, number one. Um, And number two, again, I'm looking at, you know, not only the black churches but the government because, see, I feel that sometimes we take the easy route. You know, we point the finger at individuals and, you know, right now somewhat pointing the finger at the black church or just the church in general because the white churches also play a role in this. But what we really should be attacking 
are the public policies, the laws, because, you know, racism, segregation, all of that is interwoven into the Constitution of this country as well as public policies. So, you know, I think we have to go after the big fish. But while we're doing that, yes, we have to deal with, you know, some of the smaller issues and some of the entities in our communities. Because the one thing that I will say, one of the problems I have with the black church is all of the money that they're collecting in from tithes and offerings, and not all churches are bankrolling it. I'm just talking about the very rich ones. And the majority of their churches are in economically and educationally disadvantaged areas. Why are they not creating jobs? Why are they not creating opportunities? But when they do, those opportunities go to cronies in their church. You'll find out the assistant pastor or one of the directors at the church, their children are the ones running, you know, the stores, and their friends are, you know, um, being employed at the stores. What about the people in the community where the church resides? And not only does the church, you know, reside in that community tax-free, the church also owns a portfolio of real estate in those areas in which no taxes are being paid. So they're taking money out and putting absolutely nothing back into the community. And a lot of people don't realize with a lot of these churches, they don't pay water bills, um, and and their other bills are discounted. I mean, no this taxes. is where the real injustice comes in, and I feel that all 501c3s, whether religious, faith-based or not, I feel that all 501c3s should be taxed at a commercial rate. I bet yep. you a bunch of churches hey. will shut down then. Uh-huh. You know what, Kim? You're really right. Think about this. I, I, I used to live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I remember there being a church every other intersection, okay? You don't need right. that many churches. So that many people... Uh, and, and things have uh, tax-free, uh, you know, property tax-free areas. And in a city, it makes everybody else's stuff go up, right? It makes the price of people's stuff go up because there's less property. And, er- and everything, you're just, everybody's paying for that. So uh, Ingersoll said if um, churches don't pay taxes, then anybody who does pay taxes is paying the salary of the priest. And I don't want to do that. And if you love, exactly. love us so much, you would offer to the government, tax us, tax us. Those are our people, you know, but they don't even offer. Yeah. Right. We have Mario on the line with us. I just want to let you guys know I brought Mario um, Dorsey into the um, conversation. But, yeah, that tax money, that tax base, you could take that money and reinvest it because, again, you know, many of these churches are in, you know, urban areas. And, you know, you all have read the stories, and some of you may have, you know, attended the schools in those neighborhoods. I went to a school in the city of Chicago, and the only reason why the school I went to was a nice school is because it was a magnet school. It was you, – you, it was – one of the nicest schools, and so basically it was one of those um, schools that the city would herald as a success story. But then I also had friends that went to other schools, and you would go there. There was no water in the swimming pool. It was dirty. They turned it into a storage unit, Um, you know, cracks in the foundation. You go into their, you know, gymnasium, and they didn't have enough equipment, you know, and just dilapidated. And you look at the textbooks, 
And and we'd like to thank L.A. for calling in. I appreciate it. You know, wonderful points you added to the subject. And, um, you know, you go into these areas and, you know, people want to complain. And, yes, you know, the monies, you know, the state, um, you know, revenues are not necessarily distributed um, evenly because, of course, the wealthier areas receive more money as far as, you know, percentages are concerned, you know, if you look at raw numbers, but that's because they have a bigger tax base. So, again, the communities, you know, are, you know, suffering because, again, you know, with you know, the tax base being eroded because of so many, you know, uh, people that are, you know, taking from that. But, you know, again, we have to put it all in perspective. We have to go back and we have to look at the situation, and it's not... Um, it's, it's, it's not always the church's fault. You know, we have to look at, you know, what's happening with these public policies. And, you know, again, we've talked about a number of things on this show, and I got very in-depth on the show when I was talking about the interstate, um, you know, projects and, you know, public planning and, you know, all of this that has been happening. And what happens is the federal government will write the law and say that it's equal across the board for all communities. However, they pass the money down and let the final decisions go to the states. And when the states are administering said policies or distributing said money, basically people of color have been neglected. They've been, you know, disenfranchised, um, you know, and they've been excluded from a number of these, you know, projects. Um, I gave an example when I was talking about affirmative action a few weeks ago. And with the GI Bill, you know, there are a lot of people of color that joined the military, but in the state of Mississippi when they were basically um, handing out money for, you know, home loans, only two black veterans received the home loan were over, you know, about 3,000 whites received it in, in the state of Mississippi for that one particular year. Where is the justice mm-hmm. in that? Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm saying. You know, it's a much, much bigger picture. And while it's easy to point the finger at the church per se, you know, we have to go even even beyond that. Because, again, like I said, you know, in some cases the black churches, you know, have been um, – a positive force. I mean, look at what's happening in North Carolina with, you know, them trying to turn it into a red state. It was some of the black church leaders as well as some social and community activists um, that got together, you know, regardless of their ideology or their belief system, but they got together and they put together Moral Monday. Moral Monday. And it took mm-hmm. a while to take off. And that's why I was talking about it and, you know, um, putting the links on Facebook for people who didn't know, because sometimes we miss this because the information isn't put out there. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier about educating folks, like educating ourselves and educating other people. Do not hoard the information. Put it out there. But I just think by targeting the black church, that's too easy of a target. And I think it falls into that divide and conquer. Now, am I saying that the black church is the end-all, be-all, and that they've been righteous? No. 
I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. When when the pastor or a deacon or you know a minister has molested your child or even was a sexual predator with other you know adults, and no, that's not right. And so my question would be, why do you stay there? Leave. You know, you know when when Martin Luther King came here to Virginia, the churches, the the, the uh, uh, church uh, uh, union or whatever you want to call it. When it did not follow him, okay, that's how afraid they were. Okay, what I'm saying, okay, you got some churches doing some things now, positive, to help the community. But that doesn't eliminate uh, the past years. They should have been doing it, okay? I'm saying they didn't have to be followers, okay, of uh-huh. the wrong, okay, the wrong that's been going on for for years, for decades, okay? That's all I'm saying, okay? It's about time the asses woke up. I see them waking up. You know, I, 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 I like I said, I, weird stuff. Now, we, they didn't even want you to have a business. See, what we taught in school is, uh, is, is to get a job, not to run a business, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, they were, of course, you had to have funerals. Because no white person wanted to deal with your body. Of course we had to have beauty salons because nobody, no white person wanted to deal with your hair. And that's all that's changing. But the other people who wanted their own business, a lot of them got scrutinized. Okay? But mm-hmm. it's growing. It's growing now. I'm saying that they ain't did enough. Okay? And all I try right. to do now, because I, I realize what you're saying. You understand what I'm saying? I realize what you're saying. All I want people to do is is study. Right. Not just not right. just read the Bible. Study and be able to answer your own questions. Because you got kids out here, they checking you out. They checking exactly. you and out and, and they say, well, okay, I, you, don't, you don't study the Bible, so why do I have to go to school and study? Right. And okay. that goes back to what I was saying to you about, you know, saying earlier when I was saying that, you know, it's not about doing what you say, but you being an example. And that's the reason why, you know, I, I kind of segue into the black secular community, you know, or community, you know, um, um, people of color in the secular community, how we can go out and be a part of the community and serve as, you know, more examples. And so there has to be an intersection there. There is an intersection there. And I think it's important that we recognize it. Go ahead. How about this then? How about a list of 25 things that a church could be doing that you could consider them a pretty good church, no matter what else they've got going on that you disagree with? If they're doing these things, then they're pretty good, whether that be having a daycare center, you know, this, you know, mm-hmm. this uh, lifting that financial burden off of the, um, you know, the families. Um, right. You know what I'm saying? Is, uh, is, another thing that, that we thought about, we thought would be a really good one to prove some, some type of righteousness. Um, if I go do some charity work in my neighborhood or I go donate to some charity or buy a toy for a kid or, you know, buy some turkeys and drop it off at the food bank or whatever, go spend some hours working at the food bank, then I should be able to get tithing credit for that good I did in the community. 
And, you know, I wouldn't even say tithing credit, if you will. <laughs> but, I mean, I understand, exactly, I, understand, I understand exactly where you're coming from um, because well, when I was a member of a particular megachurch and, you know, they would give you the envelopes for your tithes and offerings and you had to indicate how much it was that you were putting in the envelope, there were times I would put the amount and I would put the receipt in the envelope because I went out and purchased food and handed it to um, homeless people. At 615, I saw you there. You disappeared on me. If you call back, I'll pick your call up. Um, and I would go out and purchase food and hand it out to, you know, homeless people and people um, that were in need. And eventually some of the people at the church, you know, decided to call me up and have a little chat with me because they felt that it was their responsibility to designate where the money went and that I was supposed to give them the money and not necessarily the receipt. And I said, well, you can use the receipt and still write it off on your taxes. What difference does it make? I'm giving you the receipt. I'm not necessarily going to write it off on my taxes. I'm offering you the ability to do that. And they basically explained that was not how that worked. But, you know, going back into your 25 list, you know, yet yeah, daycare is wonderful. Um, food donation and giveaway, you know, that's another wonderful scholarship program, something that will empower, enlighten, and uplift not only the people in your congregation. See, that's my issue, one of my issues. You have to come up out of your congregation. What about the people in the community surrounding your congregation? You're taking from them and you're not reinvesting back in them. But, you know, that's a whole different story. We have 615 on the line. May we ask who's calling? It's Judy. Hey, Judy. Judy. Hi. Hey. Um, I love the topic of the 501Cs. I think if it were implemented where people were actually doing work for the community, as you all were saying, it would also weed out a lot of those get-rich-quick type of churches where their only message is give to the collection plate and God will give you credit and you'll get rich eventually. That if it was enforced properly and people in the churches were giving back to the community, then you'd eliminate all the scam churches because they don't give back. You know, have a quota, like what percentage of the income coming into the church has to go back to the community or you don't qualify. Right, and see, and this is the thing. We also, I mean, I've talked about this on several different occasions on the show, but we'll do a refresher real quick today. So you have what's called faith-based initiatives, okay? For those of you who aren't familiar with it, I want you to go and look it up. When President Obama was first running for office, he said he was going to eliminate that particular office, that program. And, of course, the religious community was not happy about it, and next thing I know, you have a faith-based initiatives are, and that's a whole different subject there. But what a lot of people need for you to realize and understand that a lot of these churches, they apply for grants. So you have city grants, state grants, as well as federal grants for certain programs. Now, if you notice, one, one week out of the year, you may see quite a few churches focused on the same week on HIV-AIDS. The only reason why they're talking about it that particular week is because they received a grant 
But the other 51 weeks out of the year, they don't say anything about HIV and AIDS unless they're saying that, you know, it's a disease that was given to a particular community as punishment. But but the only reason why they're addressing it that one particular week is because they have been given grant money. Now, I'm going to say that's not all churches because I know some churches that are working, you know, in the community. They give out sex packets. This is something that they do on a consistent basis. And I applaud those churches. See, I, I try to see what's good, you know, when they're doing good. And I try to recognize churches that are giving back to the community. But you know, they get these grants, they get this money. So when you have people saying that the church helped them pay their gas and light bill, that's a federal program. It's the CETA program, the LIHEAP program. They're not, the church isn't paying your gas and light bill. The federal government is. They use the church as a vehicle because the church has office space. So they're paying the uh-huh. church for use of that office space, and then the person that's doing the the input, that person is receiving, you know, um, a wage. So they're getting paid hourly. And for every application that's put in and received, the church receives a percentage of that as well. So, I mean, I need for you all to understand the business side of that as well, but is designated for the people that live in that immediate community because many of them don't know where else to go. So they, so the church, you know, the image of the church is, you know, given some shine, if you will, is, is bolstered. But, again, I need for them to understand how that works. But, again, you know, hey, Kim? let's talk, you know, yeah. Kim, let me hit that point. Uh-huh. Well, the point you're making right there about the churches and then the, uh, the, the heat thing uh, that can be made easily. People can repeat easily. It's like Oprah with the cars. Okay, Oprah didn't go buy some cars. Pontiac gave her some cars, and she just passed out some cars. Right. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly. the similarity I mean, right that's, there. That's, Let's that's, get real. But yeah. Let's not get on an Oprah conversation. I'm a good. No, no, no. I just wanted to just make that quick yeah, reference. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> I just saw a big old yeah. debate about her on Twitter with some atheists. Uh-huh. Uh, you're in Chica- you're Chicago, right? Yes, ma'am. Hello? Okay. Do yeah, you, I mean, know this preacher, you know this preacher named Reverend, I think it's Frank Manning? Reverend Manning. Oh, you're talking about Fred Manning. Fred Manning, and he's in New York City. Oh, New York. You ever heard him? Yeah, and and I have nothing nice to say, so I will say nothing at all. Uh huh. Okay. 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 Well, just be real then. Give somebody. The, what's, what's the warning? Give us a brief warning so people know. The warning, the warning he's is an this man has a a hole. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, he has a PhD. Yeah, he has a PhD in psychology. He understands uh-huh. fully well what he's doing. He's dangerous. And he's he also out here um creating problems for President Obama and any um black liberal or progressive that has any type of um um you know, celebrity or any type of or of recognition, so you know you got to yeah. be careful of people yeah, like that. But again, my main emphasis is that. But I'm just, I just want people to understand. He has a PhD in psychology, so he's very much so aware of what he's doing and how he's manipulating people. Go ahead, Deborah. 
I just say he's the thickest one. And I also read that he really, uh, they did something. They did a study on him. Somebody, um, one group did a study on him. He really didn't get his degree. Okay, well, you so know what? Know. That's that's possible, um, but you know, again, you know, it's about manipulation. It's about manipulation, but you know, you know, cause I want to get back more into the black churches equal black problems because there are a number of you know issues you know in our community that you know we need to address. We need to address the number of people that are incarcerated and or on probation or parole. We need to talk about, you know, gun control. Um, We need to talk about, you know, issues that they have people in the church worked up in a tizzy over that does not necessarily affect them personally. So while they keep them arguing and angry and upset about abortion and gay marriage, this is a way so that they don't have to address those people's personal issues and help them rectify those particular issues. And, again, it's, it's a game of cards. You know what I mean? And But it's not just gay marriage. It's also the, um, just gay in general, like how they, exactly. yeah, there's a, a group called the International House of Prayer out of, out of Kansas City, I think it is. There's a documentary mm-hmm. called God Loves Uganda, and it was showing how they have combined mm-hmm. up, like, some of the traits of, like, um, like the Mormons and yeah. some of the traits of like uh, 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 like the Jehovah's Witnesses, and they're yeah. sending these like Orthodox white youth yeah. over to Uganda to preach against gay people, and they got one of these uh, mini televangelists dude. Like well, I ain't never heard of this cat, you know what I mean? But he got a big following. He got like uh, a thousand um, a thousand paid um, um, employees, yeah. you know, at, at his church. <laughs> And he sent these right. kids over to Uganda, where then they showed, in the documentary, they showed him, uh, this preacher dude, in front of the Ugandan parliament for five hours preaching against yeah. um, gay people yeah. and yeah. The, uh, the LGBTQ community. And he, the next day, they put before the parliament um, a list of rules, which included if someone tells you that they're gay, if you don't report them in 24 hours, you could be put in jail for like five to seven years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, 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 and I mean, yeah, we have to for issues. Them. And I want to correct something. Um, his name is not Fred Manning. It's James Manning. My apologies so, there. I just want to yeah. make sure I correct it. That people go out looking for it, they will know it that it's James yeah. Manning. Wait, but, is, that the, um, is that that guy who does the Atla? Atla yeah. Yeah. Church yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah. Oh, goodness. That's what you were talking about? I was like, that sounds very familiar. I'm sorry. He is sick. He is the sickest person I've ever seen. Right, yeah. So, yeah, it's the Atla guy. But, um, you know, let's go back to, you know, um, to address that. I mean, yeah, so, you know, not only gay marriage but homosexuality in general and the stigmatizing of the LGBTQ community. And what they do is they keep their members focus on issues that really does not affect them directly. Because, I mean, if someone is in your church and they're pregnant and they want to get rid of it, they don't give a damn what the pastor's saying. They're going to go and get rid of it if that's what they choose to do, and they have every right to do so. But what happens is they get them so caught up and so focused on these other issues that they don't talk about the issues that 
you know, really need to be addressed, like poverty. See, this takes a lot of the pressure off of the pastors. But, again, it's about having answers to the questions. Many of these religious people, they don't have the answers. They don't know. All they know is that they want to be rich, and if they say God says that I'm supposed to be rich, you can't really argue with them because unless God said the same, you know, thing to you that it's a lie, you know, you can't really disprove what they're saying. But, I mean, at the end of the day, um, they can't address certain issues because they don't know or they feel that the issue may be overwhelming. Because, again, when it comes to poverty and especially the consistent, the persistent poverty in communities of color, it's not because individuals are lazy. It's not because they want to be that way in, in a lot of the other mess that I hear coming out of people's mouths about poor people, you know, we have public policies that are out there. And, again, you know, if you understand, you know, you know some um, macro and some microeconomics, our economy, the United States economy, would collapse if we had a 0% unemployment rate. We have to have mm-hmm. a certain amount, a certain percentage of people unemployed and underemployed so that our economy won't collapse. The poor and shall just, inherit you know, the earth. Pardon? The poor shall inherit the earth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, but we need to address the persistent unemployment, the persistent poverty in the country, you know, in our country and in our communities. You know, um, we need to talk about education and why has the cost of ha- why have we been, you know, priced out of education? I posted an an, um, an article um, a few days ago about some of the money that has been designated that's supposed to go to economically disadvantaged children to pull them out of their poverty-stricken, you know, uh, situations to help bolster them into the middle class, the universities get to decide where that money goes. So instead of giving one poor kid $20,000 so that he can afford the tuition and the room and board and the books, what they do is they split it into four or $5,000 scholarships and give it to middle-class children. They figure they can have, you know, four children that they know will probably, you know, pass and graduate as opposed to that one uncertain child. So basically, you know, a lot of these federal dollars that's supposed to help, you know, poor children have been given to the middle class. So, you know, they were calling it affirmative action for the wealthy. Sex as a taboo in general in the black community I think is one of the major problems because there was a study recently while the teen unmarried birth rate has in general gone down in the black and Hispanic communities it's actually gone up. And there since there's that taboo, people try to take sex education out of the schools. The parents are working or they're single families that don't have that talk with the children. Kids don't know proper birth control methods. They go out, they have sex, they get AIDS and all kinds of STDs, and some of these issues are causing more of a you're going to stay in poverty mode than having any chance to get ahead because sex talk is taboo. Well, okay, so, so let's, let's, let's... I think... I, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Brenda. I was going to say, here's the no, other no, thing. 
that's the other thing about um, about those teen pregnancy rates and things that a lot of people don't talk about. Um, you know, there it's a problem of access. You know what I mean? You're not going to know how many unplanned pregnancies there were among you know rich middle or rich or middle class whites because they have the means to to dispose of those unwanted right. pregnancies. They have access to health care. They have access to um, Plan B. They can have an abortion right. or what have you. And it's it's not a, it's not a thing. You're talking about communities. I mean, they had a, um, a survey in Nashville, you know, where they were um, where they had um, some of their surveyors pretend to be 17 year old black women or girls rather looking for Plan mm-hmm. B. And in places uh, and in some of these pharmacies, they were told that they were not. Uh, allowed to give Plan B to these, you know, young women. And the thing about it is, is, is that Plan B is supposed to be available over the counter, right? To girls that age, you know what I mean? And they and they had called pharmacies that were um, located in primarily, you know, minority neighborhoods. You know what I mean? So yeah. if you have pharmacies that refuse to give it, um, or if you have communities where people can't afford it, of course you're going to have more unplanned pregnancies that reach term. Exactly. 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 And then also, I also want to recognize that teen pregnancy rates are declining in communities of color. So I just want to make sure that people know that and understand that as well. But you know, with all of that being said, why is it that abstinence-only programs are primarily directed at you know? um, communities, poor communities, you know, so low socioeconomic communities. Why is that? Because it's easier to tell people that the reason that they're that they're poor, the reason that they're having all these children out of wedlock, is because they don't know how to control themselves. It's harder to decide that you're to make it a priority to give those people access to health care and birth control and education and well, living wage jobs. Sex is a taboo in general. You're not going to speak up for your rights that I need birth control or I need this or that to stop me from getting pregnant. Because if you go to a doctor and they say, well, we're going to give you abstinence education and you're not going to get the plan B, so you just accept it because sex being a taboo, which you get from a lot of the churches, you're not going to stick up and say, well, I know my rights. I know I can get this. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, those right. two things go hand in hand. It's not an either-or situation. I mean, on the, on the one hand, so obviously, you don't want your parent to find out. I'm sorry? You don't want your parent to find out. That's why you ain't going to say nothing. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, all of those things can be in play. I mean, yeah. but, the, but, the main thing is, but the main thing is, is that society, like, tells people that you're not rich or you're not um, you know where you want to be financially. That you're um, that you're in prison. You know for all of these reasons. Others, you know, um, you know, all of these reasons they give you is that it's something intrinsic with you, not mm-hmm. you know you didn't Nobody have access knows. to you know right. You didn't have access to birth control. You didn't have access to good education. You didn't have access to a quality job, which we know are the things that contribute to all yeah. of these problems. Mm-hmm. You know? Right, exactly. But it's and, easier and that to tell people that it's them, 
know? Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's easier to tell people that it's them. That's the easiest target as opposed to addressing the systems because, you know, as quiet as it's kept, there are not a lot of Planned Parenthood in communities of color, you know. I never and didn't know where mine was. I know it's right. real, but I don't know. I mean, I of, course, know. of course, Kim, you don't get that message if you're watching my Alpha 21 or whatever that crap is that people <laughs> trying to push out here. Right. I'm right. Sorry, I just but, had to but, say but, that because I get tired of people bringing that up. Oh, yeah, but see, but then again, I want, you know, goes back to, you know, is that necessarily the church's issue that they, you know, create that issue in the black community or do they continue to perpetuate it? And so, you know, that's why I want people to start thinking about these particular issues. And I wanted to speak a little bit more on that, but go ahead, Travis. No, no, I got something on that because last time I I didn't say it when, when, when you were, when you were there and the truth, remember when you were saying, you know, uh, well, why, you know, how much time do we spend on the black church? Look, if the black church is using white tricks on black people, then, mm-hmm. then there's, no, there's, there's no reason to protect them because they're all the way in the wrong. Oh, yeah. You see what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. And, so and that's the whole thing. You have it's to, not about protecting them. If, Go ahead. If somebody black is doing a white trick, and when I say white, I mean like the worst of white, okay? Mm-hmm. The good white have to pick mm-hmm. something else to call themselves because when I'm saying white, I'm talking about people who say white only on the signs, okay? And mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. they chose for themselves. And instead of... You know their, you know their other individual, you know, uh, heritage is right. And if you keep going back, everybody's African. So anyway, when I say white, I'm saying the worst of white. So if the black church is using the white church's tricks on black folks for their own personal gain, I can't pretend like they're righteous at all. If they're telling people that there's a devil that they have to worry about, I can't believe they're going to be righteous at all. Right. Uh, okay, so with that, okay, because with that right. being said, so does that invalidate any and all of the good work that has been done by the church? No, no, because the church, the work isn't done by the church. The, church, the good work is done by the people, and the church takes mm-hmm. credit for the work. Exactly. And, okay, okay, so I'm with you there. I'm with you there. So like a woman you know, who cooks mm-hmm. food for the people who are sick, she have been doing that whether mm-hmm. or not there was a church there, okay? Now... Can the secular community create a place for them to do that to where it's cooler to do it over here without, you know what I'm saying, where all the money goes to the helping of the community? I just can't, I just can't see how anybody can't add up all the money that's spent into the church in a community. Has that been used for other things? So if you just take um, the pastor's suits or the pastor's cars, mm-hmm. take the pastor's suits mm-hmm. and you turn it into um, outfits for the kids, you know, for, for the different teams, and you take the right. um, pastor's cars and, and, you, and you turn them into bookmobiles. I mean, what, what would right. be the benefit? It, you, you can't even oh, yeah. imagine the positive. Oh, exactly, the difference that that would make. And, you know, you know we're on the same page as far as that's concerned. And that's why I want us to have these types of conversations because we, we need to get the conversation started as L.A., you know, spoke about earlier. And we need to educate people. We want them to start thinking because again we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself not convert you that that's what we're about here and you know it's important yeah. what you said you know that's absolutely add valid this to that. Go ahead. 
add this to that. Um, George Carlin was being interviewed, and he was asked, so, George, are you trying to make the audience think? And he said, no, that'd be ridiculous. I'm just showing them that I'm thinking. Okay? So we're showing them that we're thinking. So they go, hey, wait a minute, somebody's thinking a little bit different. Maybe that's right. That makes sense to me. To my thinker, what black free thinkers are saying makes sense to me. We're encouraging, so that's why I say we are here to encourage you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. All we're doing is encouraging them and giving them the tools. Now, whether they utilize those tools and, you know, go out and research, and learn, that's, that's totally up to them. We're not forcing anybody to do anything. We're just saying this is what we think over here, and, you know, we're having conversation amongst one another. As you can see, there are diverse opinions about different things, but what do you think? And this is something that, you know, I've shut down, you know, quite a few people on, you know, whether they're social activists or even religious people, and they'll tell me what their pastor said or what the Bible says, and I tell them I don't care what their pastor or their Bible or their book or what their organization says. I want to know what you think. And I've literally put my hand on top of their material so that they couldn't read it, and I said, now you talk to me. I mean, you understand? Yeah, don't, yeah hey. Um, what was the line from Ingersoll? He said, don't be an owl just hooting the hoots that have been hooted for 3,000 years. <laughs> you, you, right. you know, come on. And, and, you know, and also you got to think about, when I think about black people, okay, black churches, who told you that your own, that our African spirituality was evil? To me, to not even discuss and just completely go with the, what the white man has 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 has. Has, has has taught you, to me, is wrong, period. I mean, if you're going to study, study it all. Mm-hmm. Right, right, exactly. But That's I want to pull it back. I want to pull it back to, you know, um, when we were talking about, um, you know, the teen pregnancies and the Planned Parenthoods and, you know, the Plan B and all of those. And, you know, I also want you all to pay attention to what's happening with the Affordable Care Act and with these corporations as well as, as these churches not wanting to provide birth control to women because it goes against what they believe. But yet they're willing to give away um, Viagra and all of that. Viagra. Anyway, we'll yeah. get back to that. Yeah, you yeah. know, but check out. But one thing that I do want to talk about, I think it's important that we talk about this um, before the show ends, and I want to talk about shaming, you know, um, you know, oh, slut yeah. shaming, also shaming of young kids and people in the congregation. There was um, a hashtag on Twitter yesterday that was profound, and it was hashtag fast-tailed girls. And, you know, these women were sharing their stories about, you know, when they turned, you know, to, you know, when puberty set in. So, you know, that's 11, 12, 13 years of age for, you know, the average young woman. And how all of a sudden they were deemed in some cases as a fast-tailed girl accused of having sexual relations or having grown men chase after them, whether it was in church or on the block you know, chase after them because they were developing. And, you know, they were, you know, talking about um, cases about rape and, you know, incest. It was just another, it was very profound. So I would suggest that you all go out there and read about that. But, you know, sexual promiscuity, you know, that's, you know, an issue that, um, 
you know, some people try to attribute to the church, and then I've seen the church attributed to the world, if you will, when they talk about the world, they're talking about the secular world. And while all of that is happening, you know, the HIV rates are, you know, at record numbers, and it's continuing to rise. And I feel that HIV and AIDS is a topic that needs to be addressed, you know, in the community. And since the church has the quote-unquote bully pulpit, I want to know why they aren't taking a more direct leadership role because they have members dying off left and right. You have some of these pastors and preachers that, you know, have um, HIV, but yet they can afford some of the medication. Now, one of the secrets of some some of these pastors is some of the money that, you know, people are donating is so that they can get the best medication that they can so that they can go to the Mayo Clinic or go to John Hopkins to see the best doctors because they want to live. You understand? But meanwhile, our communities are, you know, dealing with these particular issues. Now, HIV is, is, is not a death sentence anymore, per se. Because they have the medications out there, the medications are getting better, um, you know, they're working on this thing. I, I put up an article about how they created this computer application that's trying to replicate, um, you know, HIV. And it's just it's wonderful, you know, the technology that's out there. But, you know, HIV and AIDS, you know, um, sexual promiscuity. And when I say sexual promiscuity, I'm not slut-shaming or anything. I'm just saying that issues need to be addressed. People are going to have sex. They're going to do it. And so, again, that ties in with the Planned Parenthoods, that ties in with the birth control, that ties in with education, that ties in with a number of different issues. You know, it ties in with poverty because the more children you have, especially if you're, you know, whether you're a one- or two-parent home, you know, you have more children um, And let's say you did not have the opportunity to get your education, which is another issue we've talked about, it makes that even harder. And then also, you know, especially if you live in a city, um, you know, public transportation, you know, in some cities it cuts off at a certain time or it does not go all the way out to where the jobs are, and then we won't even talk about the manufacturing plants that have left the country, which has left a void. I mean, these are very real issues, and, you know, they need to be addressed. So, you know, and it's not necessarily the black church's problem, but I feel that the black church could help address some of these issues and they can galvanize with other people in the community so that we can address, you know, the elephant in the room. That's all I'm yeah, saying. No, no doubt, no doubt churches could, could do better. A lot of churches could do better. Um, but, you know, but one of the things, one of the things that, that needs to be addressed, and I haven't heard, you know, you get into this yet, is that, um, you know, we have some people in the secular community who are apt to point at the church as though the church is the the source of all of these problems. Right. Not yeah. that the churches yeah. exacerbate these problems, but churches as the source of all of yeah. these issues. Yeah. And, and that's all. not true. But, but the church but the church presents itself as a solution. It's not. And that's the problem. Right. 
Mm-hmm. I don't so think all prisons present funds. themselves as a, as a, as a solution. I don't I don't think they really? all present themselves. I don't think all churches present themselves as a solution. I think well, I think okay. churches. I, I, it depends on the church. You can't say okay, that they all my, present themselves okay, that way. Not all, but okay. How about too many? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, certainly I, I already addressed the fact that there are churches that exacerbate the problem, so I don't really think that, you know, that I need to, you know, defend that statement. There are churches that exacerbate the problem, clearly. But there are churches that are actually out here who are trying to engage in work to address some of those issues, whereas we don't have any atheist organiza- organizations who address systemic inequality. None of them. No, exactly, and that's why I'm talking about the intersection, whereas we, there are some things, you know, we are very well versed on. We understand it, you know, because, again, you know, what you're talking about there, we're talking about an underclass, a permanent underclass. We're talking about um, wealth inequality, what happened, and, you know, um, the church is not the source of those particular issues. That's why, I, you know, go back and listen to my series on, you know, privileged mutiny. And, you know, I talked about the New Deal and what created the middle class and the white middle class and, you know, how blacks were, you know, systematically um, um, denied, you know, um, opportunities, denied access to the GI Bill, denied access to, you know, small business loans, denied access to housing loans and all of that that were given under, you know, but and also denied Social Security, you know, especially if you were an agricultural worker or domestic worker. And that's still happening to this day. And so, um yeah, you know, those are issues that need to be addressed, and you're correct. There are some people in the secular community that feel as though every ill in communities of color is because of the church, and that is not true. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier, that that's too easy of a target. It's too Can easy. I ask the church you a question? Too, yeah, but part, sure. Okay, but I'm, okay, look. Okay, if we're going to talk about how the church is a bad thing, that's fun. we can talk about that. Now, if you're going to talk about what percentage is the black church at fault of the whole thing, yeah, you can go 1%, okay? But I mean, my question to you would be this. What percentage of the preachers really, really believe what they preach? And, uh, and what percentage is just using it as a trick and, 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 and their personal family business? Okay, I believe that there is um, – I'm just going to come up with rough numbers. This is not, you know, um, I have not seen yeah. any research studies on this. Yeah. But I'm going to say at least half of them don't believe what they're preaching. Okay. I'm going to say at if least half, half really, of them. Kim, now, Kim, if, Kim, if half uh-huh. don't really believe what they're preaching, then how are we supposed to figure out which half is the half to try to work with? And you know what? And that's the thing. It will it will it will show in the work. So while we're out there and we're advocating social justice and we're implementing, you know, these programs, the people that are actually wanting to work in the community, they will come. And the ones that have no interest, they won't. But the thing is is that they give us a reason to point the finger at them. So, I mean, as far as, um, you know, distinguishing as to who's real and who isn't, 
you know, um, at the end of the day, we just have to focus on what we're doing and then the ones that do not work with us or the ones that, let's say they don't want to work with us, they want to do it on their own. Even if they do it on their own to help the community and they take what we're doing, the template of what we're doing, and they apply it, then fine, as long as the people are being helped. But, you know, there will always be a percentage that will be just, you know, basically give us the middle finger and continue doing what they're doing. But I would hope that the people in their congregation would see that these people only care about themselves and they don't care about the people in the community. And I would hope that they would leave that particular congregation and go with someone who's really trying to help them as well as help their neighbors and not help themselves. Well, a lot of, you know, a lot of them, they go on from church to church all the time. You know, that, that, that they've been doing that, going from one church to the other, you know, and they yeah, still don't know nothing. Oh, yeah, but see, the thing is, is that, okay, you know, we've talked about church in general. I mean, you know, I'll be the first one to say church is fun. I had a blast in church. I mean, I had somewhere to go every week. I had people that I enjoyed being around, so I knew I would see them Sunday and possibly, you know, Bible study, whether that was on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. And, you know, we'd sit there and, you know, listen to what the pastor had to say, but we would clown when they would, when the choir would sing, and we would get up and have a good time, go out, have lunch or dinner together after church, and when the church would have activities, you know, it's about people, in some cases, not wanting to be bored. And then also, we have to remember, yeah. that, you know, I believe one of the reasons why there's a higher percentage of women in church is because at one point in time, that was the only place, or respectable place, if you will, that a woman could go to without her husband, without arousing suspicion. So mm. we have to go back okay. to all so, the right. Okay, and so, now that that time has passed, why continue that? You can do all kind of exactly. setups, right? So, so think well, about the time people spend in the church. Well, what if everybody not said, all right, uh, every Sunday, well, we're, we're going to pick somebody's I'll, house and fix it up? I was going to say, I'll say this. When it comes to women, you know, church is still an aspect, um, is still a, a, a characteristic of being a churchgoer, is characteristic that is that does convey a certain amount of respectability. If you as a woman want to be seen as respectable in your general community, it, it's, it, it is the easiest way to do that is to say, I've been a member of so-and-so church since, you know, 1999. You know what I mean? Or I'm a deaconess and I'm on, the, you know, I'm on this board or I'm on that board. It's the easiest way for people to have respect for you. It's also one of the few places in the community where black women can have some um, leadership roles. Now, obviously, in a lot of churches, they're still, you know, having issues with black women being in, um, in you know, the highest leadership positions in the church, like in the pulpit, you know, but they're still afforded some kind of agency in many of these denominations, even if they can't be pastors. And see, that, that when I was going to church, one of the things that put me off was that women were put down. You understand? I mean, but they can't help they, it. You know, they were put, they, they were completely put down, and that's what I saw. You know, I mean, I saw preachers' wives coming in with runs on the, uh, in their stockings, and he dressed up like with a five hundred dollar suit. I mean, I saw. You know, these are things that I saw. So, like, hey, I uh, saw. You know well, what I'm saying? They were putting well, women down. down. 
What does a what does a rib need with some stockings? You ain't nothing but a rib, girl. <laughs> I got a uh, hey, honey. I got a fat rib. <laughs> uh-uh. But you ain't nothing hey, but a rib. Have no rug hey, can I interject right quick? Yeah. Right. Can I interject right quick? Yeah. Sure. Uh, okay. Um, the way I looked at you know church. Um, especially when I was growing up, and I saw it, you know, it was like the community center and whatnot. Um, and so, you know, the, the things I read, the things I've seen, the things you know, I know about the black community and stuff like that, you know, it's like, you know, especially during slavery and Jim Crow and everything, those were the places we congregated, and the songs that we that were sung in the church, I mean, you look at the faces of them still nowadays that they sing them, it's about pain and anguish and about somehow, some way, finding some type of solace and salvation out of all of this. You know what I'm saying? And so, but now there are so many issues that what was a good thing is now starting to actually cause us to backpedal, you know, if you ask me, or as hell to fact. And so, I think, you know, it's just, I think it's a, a lot of things is the problem of having too many problems, too many, too many ideas, not enough viable solutions to tackle all of them. And part of that problem, you know, could be viewed like this. There are a lot of problems, you know, but if we get people or individuals or certain organizations to focus on this problem, another set of organizations to focus on that problem, that way people won't be spread too thin and will slowly start chipping away at the problem while implementing solutions. And one of the issues is everybody, well, there are too many people that want to be the chief, that want to be the leader. And not enough people that are willing to necessarily be the followers, but you know, to allow someone to you know, you know, set the tone, set you know the pace. And you know, one of the issues with that is, and especially I've seen this in a secular community, everybody thinks they're right. Yeah. And then this is where yeah. the infighting comes in, and this is why it's hard to get certain things done. This is why you see the fracturing, if you will, you know, not only in the church but even in the secular community. So, you know, oh, I, I don't like that. I'm going to go over here and do my own thing, and I'm going to go over here. And, and again, it's going to come is to a point in time. Is somebody dying in the background? Well, okay. <laughs> um, it's going to come to a point in time where we're going to have to find some kind of way to work together. And just because we're working together, that does not mean that I agree with everything that this person is doing or what they stand for. It just means that we have a goal, and we're working together towards that particular goal. Outside of that goal, I may not you know, endorse not a damn thing that that person believes in or does. But at the end of the day, we have to understand and know that it's not about us as individuals because we have to look at these communities because this is where we live. We can't run away from these problems. And, you know, while some of us may have overcome some issues, if you will, to be honest with you, you know that song, that old Negro spiritual they used to sing, we shall overcome. Well, to be honest with you, we ain't overcame shit. And we need to understand that and know that. And it's going to take all of us in some capacity or another to be able to move forward. So I guess, you know, what I'm saying in one of the questions that I posed is, where do we grow from here? You understand? Because it's going to have to be an intersection 
of the secular community and the religious community at some point. There are going to be some people that totally disagree with this, and that's fine, you know, because it's not a requirement, you know, that people participate, you know, in what we're trying to do. But, you know, I'll just put it like this, especially in communities of color, the church religion is so entrenched, has such a stronghold on the community, I don't believe yeah. that we will be able to basically yeah. um, enable and implement any real, you know, programs or solutions exactly. in the community without some type of intersection, some type of workings or inner dealings with the church community. I recognize I disagree. There, and there, 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 all yeah, you yeah. got to do, all you got to do is get everybody to watch uh, the preachers of L.A. and then oh, they'll begin please, to yeah. see the tricks in live they, living color. Yeah, and yeah. it'll sna- it'll it'll be able to snap them out of that BS. Okay, because yeah, long as you can see behind snap. the curtain, gonna, you know what they just gonna say? Oh, that's just them. Now, uh-uh, that shows how they really are. That on the, what the black people don't like that dirty laundry be showing. That hey, it's right there. But see, the point what I said, in order for us all to get together, we have to put our religion and stuff like that on the back burner, okay? And all of us talk together because that's the whole idea why all of us like this is it's called conquer and divide. Hello? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It sounded like this, that my phone popped. Okay. But that's okay. what is conquer and divide, and we are all divided. But how do you team up with somebody who you don't who is teaching who's spreading lies, right? So to tell anybody at all there's a devil is such a huge lie. How can I or tell anybody? Not everybody on the side is spreading truth. (laughs) Not everybody on the don't believe that. I tried that. They don't believe that, man. There are people. There are people on the secular side who who aren't telling truth. There are people who are acting as though we're post-racial. You know, that those of us who, you know, choose to use black in our names, like, we're being the real racist. You know what I mean? There's all sorts yeah, of but, things. Yeah, but, but, but we can knock those said, points out, you know, when we, when, when, when we are approached with those points. But I'm just well, saying, I mean, are you saying that if somebody's telling you to watch out for some invisible monster that ain't there, that that's a good thing at all? It's so hard. I'm so saying like we were around there are, and some, we were, there are um, some things that matter more than others. There are some people, there are some people for whom, you know, their religious belief is, is a personal thing. It's a thing that in, in, inspires them to be better people. And I don't have a problem with those people. I may disagree with them. I can even tell those people that I disagree with them. But if, if, if what we're trying to do out here is to make sure that there's not another Trayvon Martin or another Sean Bell or another, you know, um, Renisha McBride, then that's what I care about. I don't that's think what I care about care at the end of the day. I don't think church people, only time church people care about black people when they exclude gay people. They don't, God, they, you I'm know, saying. I don't think that's home. true. I don't think God that's true. There's, there's quite a few, there's, a quite a, there's quite a few churches that have, you know, become more progressive and actually are for LGBT rights. I agree. And, I, and for I equality. Agree. I agree. I just, you know, I just, I don't know, man. There's so many of them, man. I run into them every day and sometimes it's really pisses me off. Tell me about it. There's things that are going on in this side that, you know, piss me off too. So, like, my whole thing is is that we can't just 
we can't just exclude someone just because they believe in in God. If if what their politics and what their social motivations are um, in line with what we are trying to do, you know. I don't exclude them. I love so I, I love. I, them. I see. Yeah. You know, I love them, but I mean, when you try to run my life, tell me what to do, because that's the way you. We got a. We we yeah. We got a problem. We got a problem. Yeah, I mean, that's I think it, I think it all goes. I think it all goes to, you know, what your experiences were with the church. I for one, mm. I for one did not have bad experiences that drove me out of the they church. They always said that. I studied myself they out of the church. They always said that. I know, no, no, I know. I'm not I saying that you personally did. I didn't say that you personally oh, did. Okay, I okay, okay, okay. It okay. all depends on your personal experience with the church. So for me, when I see when I see the church, I don't necessarily have a, a, an instantaneous negative reaction. It's only when I encounter people who are anti-gay, who are anti-women's rights, who are, you know against the things that I, I fundamentally stand for, that I that I begin to go into that mode where I say, okay, this is ridiculous. You yeah. you know, your your belief system is messed up. Let me tell you why. That's the only time I go into that mode. I happen to know a lot of religious people who are actually really decent people. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And yeah. so I don't necessarily go to that when I think, when I think about religion. Anyway, because there are a lot of people who go to the church Sunday, but the rest of the week... Church isn't even on their mind, so I think there are ways to work with the church people at their exactly. location without really bringing in God into the conversation. Because, yeah, they, I think if they're really interested in helping out the community, they'll just do that to help out the community, not to preach God, because that's not really what most people do at church. It's more of a social network, an ex- expectation of their family something that they're used to. Right. 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 Okay. And I mean, right. oh, also, yeah. we, and also yep. something else, is, I was going to say something else, something else also to keep in mind is that, you know, there's different kinds of churches. And a lot of these smaller community-based churches are um, where a lot of the good work is being done. You know, some of these large, your larger churches that are more focused on prosperity gospel is not where you're going to find this stuff. So if you're looking at those right. churches to want to do something for the community, they're never going to do anything for the community. And so we, we can't look to make partnerships there. We have to look at right. some of these smaller, you know, churches that might have 50 people or less that attend every Sunday, you know. Exactly. And we're down to the last three minutes of the show. I think we're going to pick this back up next week. We're going to do Black Churches Equal Black Problems Part 2 next week. But I'm going to incorporate, you know, the atheism thing because I, you know, maybe I'll just make that my monologue next week um, talking about atheism and social justice and interfaith and, you know, how the only thing we really have in common, you know, just in general, is non-belief because it's something that definitely needs to be addressed. But this black churches equal black problems, this is a good topic, and it's so much more that I want to cover. So we'll be doing part two next week. So, um, okay, again, don't forget, black folks don't. Starts his third season tomorrow night. Dr. Hutchinson, Dr. Sakibu Hutchinson will be featured on Black Folks Don't, so I don't want you guys to miss that. But, you know, they'll have some reruns, and I think it's on that on-demand thing, too. So, anyway, don't miss that. December 15th, we'll be doing our second webcast. We've addressed the technical issues, so it's going to be wonderful. And, you know, 
basically we'll be talking about coming out as an atheist and other issues around that and how it can be paralyzing and terrifying and, you know, the issues that surround that. So we definitely want you guys to participate in that. Hashtag POC Beyond Chat. You can also talk with us on our YouTube channel as well as our Google, because I open up Q&A on Google as well. So you have all of that available. And the weekend of February 14th, Valentine's Day weekend, we will do our online conference. One more thing, the very last Sunday in February is the Day of Solidarity for Black Nonbelievers. I've been forgetting to mention that, and I wanted to make sure I mentioned that today. Our physical conference is October 11th and 12th of 2014. Make plans to be there. We want to see you. April 25th and 26th will be in Baltimore, Maryland at Morgan State University for the Philosophical Okay, somebody 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 getting hot and, and flustered over what you're talking, man. Look okay, so there you go. <laughs> oh, I put this down. Okay, we got to figure out who it was. Anyway, we're down to the last <laughs> few seconds here. Anyway, join us next week. We will okay. talk about this. We will be dealing with these particular issues of black churches equal black problems, part two. We thank you guys for listening. April 25th, 26th, we'll be in Baltimore, Maryland at the Philosophical Atheism and Communities of Faith Conference. Friday night, Raina, Dr. Hutchinson, myself. We'll be paneling on Saturday. Dr. Hutchison will give a presentation. We'll be represented both nights. We encourage you to come out and be a part of that. And on that note, we're out. Peace. Everybody have a lovely weekend. Take care. Have a good one. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.